0: Are you ready to live the life you were meant to live? Is it time to step up and strive to reach your fullest potential? Will you dare to take the bold steps to drive your business and your life to the next level? Then you're ready to live in abundance, passion and joy. You are ready to be a Maverick. Join Paul Fink, the Maverick Millionaire and the Mavericks Do It Different podcast.
1: Welcome, 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 everyone. This is Paul Fink, the Maverick Millionaire, and this is the Maverick Do It Different podcast, where we highlight how to step up, how to dare to be different and live your life differently to create different results. And today I've got a special guest with us to talk about just that, how you can really change your internal to create your external and, well, he is a world-renowned specialist in human behavior, researcher, author, global educator. Over 72 courses are available on self-development, life mastery, leadership, all within his in his institutions. Uh, everything that he does is all about changing your world. He has been uh, well, on the task of this journey with his research for well over 48 years and beyond. And we're going to talk about some of his journey right here. I want to welcome to the stage, John Demartini. John, you are well-renowned. I've seen and heard your name spoken in so many different places from movie, TV, books. And now you're here. And thank you so much for spending the time with us. Welcome. Thank you. I'm
2: the one that's blessed, so thank you. I
1: want to start off by talking about your journey. And you have been, you did research, you figured things out. Uh, what was the real catalyst to doing what you're doing now? What we know of you as Dr. John Martini, Where did this all begin? <laughs> I was born in 1954
2: with my arm and leg turned in. So from about a year and a half old, I had to wear a brace on my leg and arm, kind of like a Forrest Gump. I also found out I had a speech impediment at about that same age. And I had to go to a speech pathologist from a year and a half old. So I started out with a few of those challenges. When I got to elementary school, I found out I had dyslexia and writing problems and meaning problems. And I would put in the dunce class and I had to wear a dunce cap with a guy named Daryl Dalrymple. My my first grade teacher asked my parents to come to the school and they needed to talk. And they said, well, I'm afraid your son's not going to ever be able to read or write. He's not going to communicate effectively. He's probably not going to go very far and probably won't amount to much. If I were you, I'd put them into sports, because whenever I got out of the braces as a kid, I just wanted to run to prove to my dad, I could keep my legs straight. I made it through elementary school with the help of the smartest kids by learning to ask questions to them. What did they get out of the class? What did they get out of the reading? What did they get out of it? And as long as I listened to some of the things they did, I was able to kind of get by. That worked until my parents moved from Houston, Texas to Richmond, Texas, to a very low socioeconomic area in the country. I didn't have any smart kids and I failed. So I left home at 13 and became a street kid because I wasn't going to make it in school. And I lived in uh, you know, on the streets, in a park, in the bathroom, in a bowling alley, in diners, backyards, whatever I could find. Then I moved to the beach cause I was able to surf when I was nine, I learned how to surf in Galveston, Texas and Freeport, Texas, which was not the surf capital. And I was pretty good at that. So I decided at 14, I was going to hitchhike out to California with my surfboard. And I left the beaches of Texas. I went out to California. Then I went down into Mexico and then at 15, I panhandled enough money to make it over to Hawaii. When I landed in Hawaii, I slept under Kamehameha Highway Bridge at Sunset Beach and it was too noisy there. So I went to Iekai Beach Park, slept under a park bench, then lived in a bathroom if it rained and lived in an abandoned car that I found that had a window that smashed out. And I kept social climbing till I finally had me a tent and I was living in the jungle and I was uh, learning how to surf big waves. I got to ride some big waves, 40 foot waves. And I got in some surf magazines and some movies and things. Got pretty good at that. And then I nearly died at 17, living there in Hawaii. And uh, in the recovery of that experience, I was led to a health food store and somebody there told me to go to a yoga class to rehab my body. And I went to this special class where a special speaker named Paul C. Bragg was speaking. And one night, one hour, this one man with one message spoke in a way that I'd never heard and made me believe that night that someday I could learn to overcome my learning problems and that I could someday become intelligent, learn how to read. And that night my life changed. And I saw that night in a vision, in a meditation he took us through, me standing in front of a million people speaking articulate. And I held that vision to this
3: day. I've never lost that vision. And I ended up
2: following this man and studying with him for three weeks. And I told him that you said whatever we saw that night would become our destiny. And he said, that's right, young man. I said, well, I don't know how to read. I've got learning problems and speaking problems and spelling problems. I don't know how to, to do that. I don't know how I can become intelligent because that's what I saw. He said, that's not a problem, young man. I want you to say to yourself that I'm a genius and I apply my wisdom. And I want you to say that every single day for the rest of your life and never miss a day. And when the cells of your body start to tingle with it, so will the world and it will change your life. So I started doing that. I've never missed a day in over 50 years, that statement. And that led me to hitchhike. Well, hitchhiked to the other side of the island. I had enough money to fly back to LA. I hitchhiked back to Texas. I took a GED with a push of my parents, which is a high school equivalency test. And miraculously guessing half the time the miles closed and I even reading, just putting a pencil dot in the thing, I frigging passed this test. I had me a high school degree equivalent. So I tried to go to college, And the first class I took there, I failed, I got a 27. And I almost gave up on my dream about learning how to read and write and speak properly. And my mom saw me crying on the living room floor and said, son, what happened? What's wrong? I said, mom, I blew the test. I guess I don't have what it takes. I guess I'll never read, write, or communicate, never never go very far in life. I'm sorry. I've let you down. She didn't know what to say. So she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, son, she said something only a mom could say, whether you become a great teacher and travel the world like you dream, whether you go back to ride giant waves in Hawaii as a surfer, or whether you return to the streets and Panhandle as a bum, I just want to let you know your father and I are going to love you no matter what you decide to do. She said exactly what I needed to hear at that moment. And when she said that my hand went into a fist and I looked up and I saw the vision, the night I met Paul Bragg, which is painted in my office today, a big painting. And I said, I'm going to master this thing called reading, studying, and learning. I'm going to master this thing called speaking and teaching And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel whatever distance. I'm going to do pay whatever price to get my service of love across this planet. I'm not going to let any human being on the face of the earth stop me from this not even myself. And I got up and I hugged my mom and went into my room and I got a dictionary out and I started memorizing 30 words a day in a dictionary. And she tested me on the pronunciation, spelling and meaning and use of those words until my vocabulary grew over the next two years to 20,000 words. Because 30 a day grows pretty quick.
3: You're here.
1: And I
2: started going back and I took off in school and became one of the top students in the college that and the same next college and then same next college. And now I've been blessed to read over 30,700 books. And I've written, you know, over hundreds of books and I um, have traveled over 20 million miles on air flights. And I live on a ship that's gone, I don't know how many thousands of miles. I'm, I'm financially independent 50 times over. And I, um have been blessed to reach billions of people across the planet with radio, television, newspapers, magazine, books, and media, and movies and things. So the very thing my teacher told me that it would never happen is the very thing that I ended up becoming. So if there's anybody out there that may be having a setback or thinking that they've got a story, a narrative about how they didn't have this as a child or whatever, just know that none of that is where it's at it's not what happens to you. It's not what you're going through or what you've been through. What matters is what you decide to do with it. And if you take command of your life, other people won't. And if you design your life, other people won't force you to live by duty. And so, yeah, I've been for the last 50 years now, I've been teaching for 50 years. I've been blessed to, you know, speak in now 187 countries. I'm absolutely certain that, a human being has the capacity to do something extraordinary. It's their destiny if they give themselves permission to shine.
1: Here, here, and the one of the interesting components, and I want to delve in just a little bit on the adversity quotient, if you will, and the concept that adversity creates that that strength. And do we need to start so low to get so high? And And there are some people that go, "Well, I wasn't sleeping in a car, I didn't face near death. I didn't I, I didn't lose everything, only I would still want more. What is it that that we can help people with to grab hold of that, to create that desire from within? Uh, without necessarily coming from that deep, uh, deep extreme, if you will, and facing. Well, the- I've asked
2: that question. I've asked that question and been asked that question many, many times. And because people say, "Well, you know, I didn't have that kind of background. Do I have what it takes?" Kind of stuff. And right. I said, "That's what matters. That, that's not what. That's not the factor." See, the reason why people. Uh, live kind of media mediocre it's not because they didn't have this extraordinary crazy challenge It's because what they've done is they've compared themselves to other people they've minimized themselves to people they've admired they've injected the values of others They cloud the clarity of their own calling and they've lost sight of what they're called to do that inspires them spontaneously and they've allowed the mediocrity of the crowd to interfere with the genius of the individual that wants to shine. And the second you reawaken that, and there's a science of doing that, it doesn't matter what your background is to decide now what spontaneously inspires you. People are suppressed inside through comparison. If you put people on pedestals or pits and not put them in your heart, you're going to be distracted and futilely trying to get yourself to be like somebody else or trying to get others to be like you, which is futile instead of loving them and loving you on a mission together, working towards something in- inspiring. So the comparison of ourselves to others is what blocks us. We're not here to compare ourselves to others. We're here to compare our daily actions to what we value most and what's truly inspiring spontaneously, intrinsically from the core values of our being.
1: You know, one of the things that happens and, and one of the great things with this platform is that we get a chance to simply talk. and one of the components that comes up when we talk about that comparison that happens in our society that happens with individuals is we've got this thing called social media that ends up flashing in our face, if you will, all the the greatest components of everybody's life that becomes that comparison and, and, You know, early on when Facebook first started, there was this thing called Facebook syndrome that we started hearing about that was all about people got depressed as they got involved in social media because their whole focus was that comparison aspect in their life. And that's where they ended up spending their time rather than developing internal. Uh, Words on that?
2: Yes. Don't be fooled by facades. There is no such thing as an individual who has got a better life. That's crap. I've met top celebrities. I've met billionaires. I've met thousands of people that do extraordinary things. They don't have a better life. They have their life. They have a different life. And they have sets of pains and pleasures that you won't want. Here, here. <laughs> You're not going to want their system. So envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. Why be second at being somebody else when you can be first at being you? One is going to hold you back. One's going to catalyze you to go forward. So when you see somebody you think's a hero or a saint, just know they've got a villain and a sinner inside them and you're hiding it from your own awareness because you're, you're fooled by a facade instead of going and getting to know deeper. And haven't we had enough great leaders that we thought were heroes by the masses, turned out to have the other side, their shadow side. There is no such thing as an individual that's nice without mean or kind without cruel or positive without negative or, you know, joy without sorrow. There's always two sides, like two sides of a coin. So don't be fooled by facades of people who are wishful thinking and trying to put on a facade to fool themselves. The real authentic individual, is going to reveal both sides of their life, yes. And they're they're going to show you that they're a human being and they've got their strengths and weaknesses. You know, I'm I'm pretty pretty intelligent when it comes to the area of human behavior, but I'm a klutz when it comes to technology. I'm a klutz. I couldn't tell you what baseball or football or soccer team is going. I couldn't tell you. I haven't driven a car in 33 years. I couldn't tell you what cars are on the road. I'm an idiot when it comes to things that are low in my values. I'm pretty bright when it comes to things that are high in my values. We all have an area of excellence and an area of, you know, idiocy. And and when you not get fooled by the outer appearance and not try to live in the fantasy of other people's values, um, you end up giving yourself permission to be excellent in your own truth. And I'm a firm believer that there's nothing missing that you, you know, there's an old proverb that's been stated in almost every culture around the world, that whatever you see in others is a reflection of you. If you're resentful to somebody, it's because they're reminding you of the thing you're resenting in yourself and feel ashamed of. And the reason you want to avoid them is because it's reminding you of a thing that you're trying to avoid and feel ashamed about. Your addiction to pride is keeping you from facing the truth about people revealing to you about yourself. The same thing for when you admire people you put them on a pedestal. But I've, I've, I've taken thousands of people who are playing much bigger fields today, when they realize that whoever their heroes are, they would not see their heroism in them unless they had the same behavior available to them in their own life. So nothing's missing at the level of the essence of the soul, nothing's missing in us. At the level of the existence of the senses, things appear to be missing. The things that appear to be missing, the things we're too proud or too humble to admit, we see in others inside ourselves. But we're here to have reflective awareness and introspect instead of deflective awareness and extrospect if we want to master our lives.
1: So what's the first step in that? So we have people listening in and we have got listeners all around the world who are listening to this and saying, all right, now what? Well, what do I do? What are some of the first steps that, you know, I look at social media and I'm envious. I've got this, you know, I, I want what they have and I look at that. How do I shift? What what are the things that I should be doing? Actual behavior on a day to day, or thoughts that I should be having.
2: If you got time to be watching all those people, you're you're you don't have a mission of your own. You got a mission of your own. You're going to be focusing on what you can do to be of service in the world. There's no fulfillment, you know. I, I there's a great little video clip by Tiger Woods. You know, if you're not going to get off your butt and do the work, you know, don't expect outcomes in life. You you. you get down to get down to what's priority and let's get on with the action steps that are proven to give you the result. If you're going to watch somebody, watch them for mentorship, not for envyship. You know, Mm -hmm. look at, look at how they've done it. Not, you know, oh, they've done it. Why I don't have what they have. Don't play that game. Right. I'm a firm believer that, that every human being has a set of priorities, a set of values that are intrinsic to that individual in that moment. And finding out what's highest on the values where they're spontaneously inspired, intrinsically to take action is where they have the greatest advantage. Trying to live in their lower values where they have to have motivation. If you need motivation to say, to do what you think is important, it's not important. When it's really important, you don't need motivation. I don't need motivation. For 50 years, I haven't needed motivation to research, write and teach. (laughs) I've been doing it every day, seven days a week, since I was 17 years old. I'm 68, you know, going on 69. So I, I do it every day. So find out what you spontaneously do that nobody has to remind you to do that. You can't wait to get up in the morning and do that inspires you. Right. And not focus on what is comparisons, but just focus on that and structure your life in such a way that you're doing something that's deeply meaningful, that's sustainable with fair exchange with another human being to serve them. And boy, then you're going to get prosperous. You're going to end up having appreciation. You're going to have social influence. You're going to have more vitality. You're going to be inspired. You're going to end up attracting people, places, things, ideas, and events to help you align synchronously in a natural way to what it is you're striving for. Nature provides and honors authenticity.
1: It's amazing. The purposeful intent is the way I've described that in my life. And waking up with a purpose and people have talked to me about, oh, what, what keeps you going? What motivates you? What moves you? And I, I've uh, you've articulated what's been in my heart and soul, and that is, um, I, I'm not sure I understand. I just have a work ethic and I show up and I do what I do because I love what I do, and I've learned to to gravitate to what I love more and more and more over my decades. And in that way, created more and more abundance in my life, joy, happiness, and it, it, like you said, I, I've never needed to like, oh man, you need to wake up. You need to do this. And I just do it. And it's such a, a interesting place. I mean, I talk about, uh, you know, I don't need a lot of sleep and people are like, how do you do that? And I, I, I don't know. I just like, I'm, I'm busy. I'm living life. I don't remember ever being bored. So it's, well, uh,
2: I, I did I did 30 35 years on 4 hours sleep a day. So I and right now I do it a little bit more than that because I have my prostate in it got a little larger into my as I'm closer to 70 and uh, so I'm I get up in the middle of the night and pee at least 2 or 3 times so but I I sleep a little bit more now but I I was on fire for for all those years and I'm still on fire. I just sleep well, an extra hour, you know.
1: So here here's a great side note. People tell me Oh man, no, 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 You're, you are, you are doing yourself a disservice because your health will suffer if you don't do seven, eight hours sleep a night, just on record, maximum minimum, you need that. Well, Well, is that true?
2: I'm going to share a story. I don't know. I know some people that are, I know a guy here on the ship that I live on here that, uh, is 84 now and I don't think he's ever had five to six hours sleep in a night in his life. So I don't know, he's still cranking. And he's he's one of the most productive and most celebrated billionaires that I know who has 4,030 patents in his name. So he's one of the creative minds on the planet. Uh, he doesn't sleep that much. Can I, I don't share a story? I, I was interviewed by the wall street journal a number of years ago by a woman. And she said, Dr. De Martin, I'd like to interview you on a topic about a new study that came out. And there's a study that showed that people are more productive if they work 45 minutes and take a 15 minute break and take 45 minutes and work 45 minutes and take a 15 minute break. He says, what is your comment? I said, it's a bunch of hogwash. That's absolutely not true. They're doing a study on disempowered, disinspired, uh, ungrateful individuals, And they're not inspired by their life and their career. Right. And she's paused and says, so you're telling me the research project is skewed and biased and and not really thinking it through. I said, absolutely. Because I guarantee you that individuals who are inspired by what they do, don't even notice the clock. They're not focused on breaks. They're focused on service. They're focused on creativity. They're focused on outcomes. They're thinking of that. They go, oh, you got to remind them to take a break. When you're engaged, as 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 McGregor said in the 1960s, and you're a Theory Y person, you don't need to be motivated. You don't need a break. I when I was when I'm teaching, sometimes I go seven hours without a break. If people want to go pee, go pee. You know, <laughs> I, just, I I'm on a roll, and and uh, and I'm I'm amazing. I I was I was talking about this one time in uh, in Ontario, Kingston, Ontario. I was doing a program of all places. And the head of the Harvard Business College, the, the, the you know, the leader of the business college of Harvard was there. And he came up to me afterwards, he says, Are you going to dinner? And I said, I am. And he says, Can I can I take you to dinner? And I said, Let's go. And he said, while we were at dinner, he said, You know what you said about being inspired by something, you don't, you, you don't need, you're not thinking in terms of breaks, you're not thinking in terms of vacations, you're not thinking in terms of retirement, you're thinking about your mission and the service on the planet you want to do. Yeah. and this problems you to solve. You're not focusing on self, you're focusing on, on uh, your self-contribution on the planet because there's a fulfillment in making a difference. So, and everybody wants to make a difference, whether they, whatever wherever they come from, they want to make a difference. You can't make a difference fitting in and subordinating. You make a difference by standing out and, and, and you know, ordinating. So we were chatting and he says, you know, what you said was so true. And I said, how? And he said, He says, I'm sitting in my office at Harvard and I look out in the courtyard right outside my window and I can see all the offices of the professors at the business school. And it's interesting, the PhDs are there
3: till between five and 7 PM and the lights go out. The professor emeritus are there till nine or 10 and all the Nobel prize was there till one or two in the morning.
1: fascinating and it's so so amazing because in the masses that they're taught and you know for lack of a better word programmed to think the opposite and it's so detrimental and it's so important for for you to be out there for us to to deliver the message of the counter to what is so readily broadcast, which is, oh, you know, don't, don't uh, get dedicated to your work because you need a life, life work balance. And uh, you need all this extra sleep because that is just the way to live the healthy, viable life. And, and, and my my mantra is we live one life, make it so that your work and life is a blend and you don't see any distinction thereof, which eliminates that nine to five, Monday through Friday mantra. And that that let your body tell you what you need. Don't dictate to it that, oh, I need eight hours and that's what will serve us, serve me.
2: Well, uninspired people may, but inspired people don't want to. They don't want to lose all on life. There's too much right. downtime sleeping. Yes. They got things to do. But you know, most people have Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days. Thank God it's Fridays and week friggin' ends because they vocation and vacation are split schizophrenically instead of actually united doing what they love. Yes. But I'm a firm believer that uh, you know you can structure your life and design your life. I I learned a long time ago that if you're doing high priority things, you grow in self worth. If you do low priority things, you do decline in self worth. So I realized that the thing I love doing is teaching, researching and writing. I've delegated everything else off my plate. I don't do anything else. I've got people who are specialists doing everything else. I got cooks and I got pilots and I got concierge and I've got, you know, cleaners, and I got drivers. I got anything that is not inspired to me. I delegate here,
3: here. And, I,
2: and I go out and serve people more effectively doing what I love and it makes more income and then the other people have jobs that they love because I don't want to hire anybody if they're not in love with what they're doing because that's just micromanaging and pushing people uphill. So I surround myself with that. So I delegate everything. I was joking with a guy recently and he says, you know, you, you delegate just about everything. I said, I do. I said, even love making it. He goes, what do you mean? I said, look, I go up to my girlfriend and I said, if I could get George Clooney or Brad Pitt or you know Gerard Butler or whatever, to make love on my behalf, would you still love me? Every time my girlfriend says, I would love you even more.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's Uh, a joke.
2: I'm not not delegating. If you saw my, the one that I, I, you you wouldn't delegate that. But anyway, I delegate everything because it increases job opportunities. It helps the economy. It gives more transactions. I mean, the mathematics of economy is, is up. And people are getting to do what they love. They're less likely to be in addictions and consumptions and all the other problems that people have. They're not in their amygdala. They're in your executive function. And I'm able to go and do what I love doing every day. So that's the key is liberating yourself from the, the baggage by going and doing what's really deeply meaningful and inspiring in a way that serves people in a sustainable, fair exchange manner. That There's does it know. all.
1: Yeah, it's definitely my uh, the journey that I've been on is to delegate everything. I have a similar passion as to you. Uh, Coaching, training, speaking, uh, inspiring is what I love. And I have been systematically delegating everything in my life that isn't connected to doing that. And people always ask me like, oh, oh, you know, why, why are you traveling around the world? Why is that what you're doing? Isn't it better to hire someone to go speak? I was like, that's what I love. Uh, why would I delegate that out? I delegate everything else. And it's exactly what you're speaking to. Um, powerful. Yeah. I
2: did an exercise. I did an exercise when I was 27 year old, years old after buying a book called The Time Track by Alec McKenzie. And I summarized that book and earmarked it and yellow marketed it and all that stuff. And I extracted it and I created a, a six column, five vertical line, equal spaced columns in the very first one on the, on this side, which is my left, but your left over here. Uh, I wrote down everything I do in a day, everything I do in a day, personal and professional, home or at work, everything I do in a day over about a three month period, what are all the actions I do? I don't put generalities down. I don't put marketing. I put the actual actions I'm spending per day. So I'm looking honestly at what I'm doing with my, with my body and my, my mind. And I wrote them all down and there was a lot of stuff on that list. And as I was writing it, I was going, you know what? I'm doing a whole lot of stuff. That's not necessarily the most productive things. I'm majoring in minors and minoring in majors all over the place. When I did that, it was 27 yep. and I hadn't got the mastery of delegation at that point. So I was just learning it. And I made that list and I was going, whoa, that was insightful. Just making that list. The second thing I did in the second column is how much does it produce dollar wise per hour? Whoa, was that an eye-opener. And I realized that a lot of stuff I was doing was zero. So I'm just spending my hours zeroing out and devaluing my time. And then I realized that there were things that I was doing that actually was most productive. That wasn't what I was in professional school to do. The very thing I was trained to do wasn't the most dollar productive into thing I could do, which was astonishing to me, you know, even though it was my specialty. What, what so was I realized
1: that? I, could well, you know, I was Give me clinician. an example.
2: Yeah, I was a clinician and I found out that if I'm doing clinical work, I might make in 1982, and this was, you know, 1500, I might scratch by on 2000 an hour back then. Right. But if I'm going out and doing a presentation to 60 or a 500 or something people, and I engage them in becoming a patient, I could generate 18,000 to 20,000. Right. In, a, in an hour, in an hour. And I realized leveraging by speaking was a big, big shift in my reality at that moment. Even though I was already speaking, I've been speaking already. But I realized that the most productive thing I can be doing is being a man on a mission with a message and getting the message out through every possible vehicle in the world. So that was a big shift and it produced the most income. And I started to make a list of everything that produced down to things that didn't. And at that time I made a decision I'm going to start charging for some of the stuff that I'm doing, that I'm not charging for. And I'm asking, why am I not charging for it? It's my time. Because other people weren't who had a low image of themselves. And then I realized, well, I'm doing this, my time, this is my life. I'm not doing that anymore. So I shifted what I was doing and I looked at where I was putting my energies. And I reprioritized that list according to what was most productive down to least productive. And I started doing three talks a day on average and generating clients and I hired doctors. I had to hire five doctors to take care of the clinical stuff that I could go out and generate. Cause I was generating hundred new patients easily a month that way. Right. Then on the third column, I, I, uh, I made the third list and that was how much meaning does each of these actions have? because it's one thing being of service to people, because if you're serving people and they're willing to pay for it, it means you're meeting a need. And that's a contribution to other people. The other one was what's meaningful to me, because if I'm not inspired to do it, I'm going to, you know, money without meaning leads to debauchery, but money with meaning leads to philanthropy. And I want to be philanthropic, not debaucherist. I don't want to be, you know, doing amygdala responses. I want to be executive functioning. So I put down the meaning of one to 10 scale, the most meaningful to least meaningful. Now I was very blessed because some of the most meaningful things, which was speaking to me, was also the thing to produce the most, but some of them were a little different. So I rearranged the prices to make it more feasible to the things that were meaningful. And I made sure that I delegated the rest. And I I realized that that's next. So the next column, the fourth column, and I reprioritized the meaning. I wanted to make sure I was doing the most meaningful thing with the most income. The fourth column was, was how much would it cost to delegate that, to hire somebody who's a professional, can do a better job than me, a greater job than me, who would love to do that, be inspired to do that, an A person, how much would it cost? Every cost, not just salaries, you know, parking, training, insurance, every cost down to the, the penny and the, the paperclip. What's the cost? And then i put those in together in spreads, between what was it actually able to produce per hour, versus what it was going to cost per hour, to look at the spreads. And I prioritized it according to spreads, so I knew what the priority of delegation was. Then I went to the next column, how much actual time do I spend on it? So I could put job descriptions together according to what they're actually going to be needing to do. And the last one was the final prioritization. And I layered those, that entire list, which were hundreds of things on it. I layered them into 10 layers, put job descriptions in there, and started at the bottom and worked way at the top because you'll duplicate yourself at the final step. And I started to delegate layer by layer by layer. And 18 months later, I was doing everything. I was doing only the professional speaking and training to the docs. And in the process of doing it, my net increase, my net income was tenfold. Net 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 uh, return was tenfold, and I'm working less insanely, more focused, doing what I love to do, and I never turned back and i have been delegating since that day. Never went back.
1: For all of you that are listening, I would go back over this recording, pause it every step of the way and get clear on that spreadsheet and go through that process and do it for yourself. There is absolutely no question it'll change your life. I, I I know I've done portions of that only, not all in one spreadsheet and not all at one time. Um, powerful, powerful component. Uh, I talk about time logging, which is you know that analysis of what you actually do every day and and mapping that out and the concept of making sure it's the highest and best used financially, what's gonna return, give you the return, then knowing what you can delegate, how much it's gonna cost you to delegate, putting and, and adding in the value of who you are, of what you want, the meaning of, of where you wanna go with your world, creating that purposeful intent I talk about is um, so powerful. I
2: found that anytime you're doing something high in your values, your energy goes up. Anytime you're doing something low in your values, your energy goes down. So energy draws business. Everybody knows that in the business world, if you're inspired and energetic, the the enthusiasm, you know, I was uh, reading a book one up on wall street many years ago in the 90s by uh, Peter Lynch. And he said something that was, I'm paraphrasing it just a slight bit, but he basically said, you know, after I do my technical and quantitative analysis on the stocks and look at the intrinsic value and book value and all the data, uh, when I narrow it down to a handful of stocks, I actually get on a jet and I fly to the headquarters of that company. And I go and I walk around and interview the people. He says, if I see people who are grateful for their job, loving what they're doing, inspired by the vision, enthusiastically working, present while they work and certain about their skills i invest
1: yeah yeah it, it's amazing how much people and and in our society discredit all of those things and yet all of that is the the way to not just financial and and one of the things you talk about tenfold in your your bottom line but it's also just creating a joyful just energetic exciting life that actually fulfills you and fulfills and serves our society all at the same time it's a magical can i share, a story? Can
2: I share a story of a consult that i did in in melbourne australia please i was uh i met a, a consultant there that worked with boston consulting and McKinsey corporation and they asked me to assist on this one CEO and founder of this company in Melbourne. And I said, let's go, let's go let's go see, what, see this guy. The four uh, executives underneath this owner, uh, I sat with them first and they gave me a spill on what's this head of this company's dropping the ball on. And uh, they said, you know, we want to either fire him up or get him out and let him retire and let us take over because we know this business can do better than this and it's plateaued and gone down. It's, it was once the peak, it was once at the top of the market share. And so I got some data from them that gave me some insight. Then I went and met with a CEO, the founder. And I said, I'm going to give you five minutes max to tell me your idea what's going on in your company, the strengths, the weaknesses, just tell me what you think. Just, I just want to hear, your inflections, your tones, your mannerisms, what your body language is doing. And that'll give me some insight. So he goes on he says, well, we were in this company and he owns a paper and forestry company, he makes paper, paper goods, and he also grows trees to make the paper. He says, right now, we're not able to compete with the Asian market. They're just completely knocking us out of the water. You know, we once had market share in Australia here, but now we just can't compete. And he was just really kind of fading out. And his goal was to retire in two years. So he's just riding it out. He can have a fat paycheck. He's out of there, which means he's not inspired by any mission anymore. Right. And I said, okay, your five minutes is up now. Your, 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 your time is up. I said, now I'm going to ask you a very pertinent question. I want you to
3: give me the answer. What inspired you to found and build
2: this company? And I said, when I said that to him, he put his hand back like this. And he leaned back and he goes, wow,
3: that's, that's a good question. And this is what he said. When I was a young boy, we
2: came from a poverty family. We didn't have any money. And right at that time, there was a desegregation between the rich and the poor in our school system. And suddenly the school I was going to, I got bused to a very rich school, a nice school. When I first got on the bus, I didn't have nice new tennis shoes. I didn't have nice new shirt and pants. I didn't have nice, you know, school utensils and notebooks and satchels. I had dirty shoes, dirty pants, dirty shirt worn out. I had a pencil that was barely sharpened. It was not really sharpened. I didn't really have any paper. When I went through the first day of school, I saw these kids with all these things that seemed like luxuries. And I was felt really intimidated because he compared himself to these people that had things. So he felt even lack. She says, I couldn't go on the bus going home. It was too humiliating. I felt completely rejected. So I stayed at the school and walked down the aisles of all the hallways in the school and went into every trash can and looked to see if there was any paper that might be usable or any pencils or pens that might be usable. And I grabbed every one of them I could get, every piece of paper I could get.
3: I walked home. I cleaned my shoes.
2: I washed them. I had my mom and me clean my pants and my shirts. I oiled my belt.
3: And I sharpened the pencils, got a couple of pens that were now working. And I took all the
2: paper and I cut it perfectly all the same size, glued the end and made a pad of paper. with glue. So I could have a pad of paper when I went to school with a pencil that worked and a pen that wrote with clean clothes. So I wasn't intimidated the second day,
3: not as much as the first. Later on in my life, he said,
2: I made a commitment that I was never going to see a kid that had to go to school like that i wanted to make sure that they had access to paper and pencils at a reasonable price that anybody in that in the in in our areas could be able to afford it i started the company with that mission in mind
3: i said did you get so successful that you forgot your mission he was in tears the executive's in tears. I was in tears. He said, I lost my mission. I forgot the children."
2: I said, do you really want to retire and drive your wife out of her mind? Cause she has the fantasy when you come home, it'll be nice, but you're going to end up being used to telling people what to do. And you're going to be trying to do it to her. And she's going to castrate you. So wake up. You sure you want to retire? He says, no, I've been, anxi- I've been having anxiety about it because I'm mixed in feeling, because I think I should be doing, that. I ought to be doing that. I'm 63. Now I've worked long hours. I got so successful, I forgot what got me there. I said, well, I, you know, as long as you're green you're growing, as soon as you're ripe and you're rotten, sometimes when you're tired people die because they don't have a, li- a reason to live. Are you sure that's what you want? He soul searched for a minute he made a decision, no, that's not really what I want to do. I said, well then get your head out of your ass and go get back onto the mission of helping the kids. That company in a very short period of time was back at the top. It had nothing to do with age. It had nothing to do with anything, except the mission, the vision and the clarity and how prioritized they are. And when people lose sight of their mission, Those without a vision and a mission, they they tend to falter. They tend to perish, as they say in old biblical terms. But this man turned his company around, and those four guys were having a leader again. So don't blame things on the outside. It has nothing to do with those things. It has everything to do with what you decide on the inside of how to perceive those things on the outside and how to use them to fulfill your mission.
1: It is so inspiring to hear you talk about That story and others like it to understand the to understand the process on how to move him and how to have him pay attention to his vision and his purpose and and what really inspired him to get started is what will inspire him today to keep moving forward. What I also want all of our listeners to resonate with is that after all your time with so many just tens of thousands, if not millions of people all around the world that you've worked with over the years, that you are still in tears telling that story. And it's what makes you great. And what makes you living with passion every single day is that your heart and soul and purpose is obviously still in the game. And this isn't rhetoric. This isn't just you talking about, oh, I'm on on another podcast. Let me go through A, B, C, D. Uh, That this is real and heartfelt and what you do changes people's lives. And you've got a purpose and a mission and a passion for it that is uh, so heartfelt. And it's so great.
2: Well, thank you. I I know that you won't see that without you having that. So you have that same thing. That's why we relate to each other.
1: So yeah.
2: thank you. Hey, yes.
1: uh, as my tears well, can well me. it
2: up. My, I have people come up to me and say, are you a motivational speaker? I said, absolutely not. I have no interest in using rhetorical persuasion to do something that I'm selling to you. That's not needed by you and being inspired by you. I'm an inspired educator helping you find out what your mission and meaning is in life and letting you have intrinsic drive instead of outside motivation. Motivation is a symptom, never a solution for human beings. You're here. So I'm 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 a man on a mission. That's how I tell people. I'm not a I'm not successful, I'm not failure, because those are distractions. Success is a depurposing label, and failure is another repurposing label. Those are both distractions to a man on a mission.
1: So great. And it, and in this day and age, and, and I talk about this, uh, the world has gone through transitions over the last couple of years, especially. And to understand that, that when we look internal and we absolutely uh, judge today by who we are and who we want to be and our purpose, rather than looking on the external, we can get in to continuing to change, uh, to to create the world we want to live in, and that's what you've been doing for fifty plus years now in a, in a focused, intense, uh, intentional way, and um, and it's inspiring uh, to me to watch that and to say um, how great, how amazing. And to uh, to to just feel it, and it's, well, um, thank in you. In two thousand and
2: six, so when the, the movie The Secret came out, you know, I filmed for seven and a half hours to be in there for about ten seconds. Yeah. But they, uh, uh, <laughs> one thing I did get across, at least, was when the voice and the vision on the inside is louder than all the opinions on the outside, you've begun to master your life. I still think that's still a great truth.
1: Here, here. Yes, yeah, so amazing. Uh, so great to connect with you today. Uh, so great. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your life uh, to be here with us and to uh, share the stories that we were able to share. And there's so much more. Uh, for everybody, there's uh, the information to get involved and to connect more deeply with Dr. John Demartini is right here in the description, and his links and everything else uh, on his bio is right here to take a look at. Um, for everybody here, to to uh, words, final thoughts, final words, uh, to. Uh, You know, we've covered so many things today that I'm not even sure which one to focus in on other than to say, um, what would you like to share in our final moments here with our group? I believe that every symptom of your physiology, every symptom of
2: your psychology, every symptom of your sociology, every symptom in your business is a feedback guiding you to authenticity. And the magnificence of who you truly are is far greater than any fantasies you'll impose on yourself by comparing yourself to others. So don't put people on pedestals or pits, put them in your heart. Because when you love people with a state of equanimity within you and equity between you and them, you have sustainable fair exchange, which is unstoppable in building incremental momentum towards greatness.
1: Dr. John Demartini, you are in my heart. And in my journey forevermore, I appreciate you and honor your connection to the world and what you've done. Thank you so much for the time and your intentionality on living a purposeful life. And it serves us all. Thank you so much. Well,
2: thank you. And thank you for the time to be with you and your lovely team and grief. Um, and yeah, thank you. You're helping me fulfill my mission on earth.
1: This is only the beginning. There's so much more. For everyone here, like I said, Dr. G. Martini is right here. Go ahead and click on any links that are here. Uh, Go and follow him. Reach out to him. He's got, obviously, a heart and soul that is felt throughout all these pathways that we're connected with. And reach out and find a way to connect with him deeper. It will serve you well. This is Paul Fink. This is the Maverick Do It Different podcast. Thank you so much for your time and energy. Till next time, everyone.
0: Thanks for being here today. As we close out this episode, which inspired you to be even more of a Maverick, be sure to leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. As our gift to you, be sure to go to themaverickuniverse.com where you can download your free copy of The Maverick Manifesto. Until next time, dare to be different. Dare to be a maverick.